Okay, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning. We come, Lord, as your people who have been redeemed by your Son, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us by his precious blood, who redeemed us by his faithfulness, who redeemed us by his righteousness. And Lord, we come to worship you and to acknowledge that your name is holy. And it was because of your holiness and your righteousness that Christ came that we may also possess the holiness and righteousness that is in Christ. And Lord, we pray and thank you for the good news of your gospel because it is indeed good news because of the person of Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus has and is serving his people. And we look forward to that day that we shall see him face to face. And we pray that this will be the hope of all your people. And Lord, now we ask for your blessing as we go into your word that you may speak to us, that you may speak to your people by the teaching of your word. May the Holy Spirit open the hearts and minds of your people that they may hear from you and hear what says the Lord. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in John 5. John chapter 5. Verses 1 to 9. Yet another glorious teaching from the Lord. Excellent teaching, excellent theology. But the Lord has to give it to you to see it. Otherwise, it remains just a story. Just a story of people who were sick and blind and who could not get into a pool. And then that's the end of it. But no, that's not the end of it. There's actually a whole lot more that we have to understand because the Holy Spirit determined to give us these physical realities to express spiritual realities. So with that, let's go to John chapter 5, verses 1 to 9. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 9. And this is what it reads. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the ship gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, 
another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. That's the word of the Lord. By way of title, way of title, as I explained before, titles are useful because they help you to see more the theology. And those of us who are sovereign grace believers, we can tell that someone is going to preach a sovereign grace message from the title. We can tell. So the titles, I actually have three titles. In the pool of grace. In the pool of grace, the sick, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and Jesus. And the third title, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Apostle John, by the Holy Spirit, tells us that after these things... We are in John chapter 5. A lot of things have happened before then. After these things, there was a feast in Jerusalem. And this has to be one of the appointed feasts for which all males were required by law to be in Jerusalem. And we know this from Deuteronomy chapter 16. Verse 16, which gives us the three feasts that all males, all Israelitish males were required by law to attend. And we're given them here again in Deuteronomy 16, 16, which reads, Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose at the festival of unleavened bread, which also would be Passover, the festival of weeks, which is Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And the word of the Lord says, and no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. So most likely it is one of these feasts that the Lord was going to attend in Jerusalem. Apostle John has told us that the Lord had last been in Judea, that is Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was in Judea. In John chapter 2, where he had gone for the Passover feast. And we know what happened there. When the Lord went to the Passover feast in John chapter 2, he overturned the tables of the money changers. And as expected, Things did not go very well between him and the Jews. And now he comes back. He comes back to Jerusalem to stir more trouble. And we are going to see more trouble brewing in John chapter 5. But remember how John closed off that part of him being in Judea. How he left Judea to go up north in Galilee. This is what John told us in John chapter 4 
at the beginning of John chapter 4, in verses 1 to 4, John said, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So the Lord left Judea because the Pharisees had heard of his rising popularity and he did not want any major confrontation with the Jews just yet. But the seeds had already been sown. The Jews were already determined to take him out. So on his way from Judea, he had to pass through Samaria. And we know that in Samaria he had an appointment with the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans. And from there he continued his journey north into Galilee where he met with the royal official whose son, we are told, was at the point of death. So after these things, John tells us that the Lord had to come back again to Jerusalem for a feast, and as expected, trouble was waiting. The Jews did not like Jesus, and they are determined to find an opportunity to get rid of him. And the Lord knows it. But they can't do anything to him until the hour of his glorification. The hour had to come. The cross has to come. Everything is moving by divine appointment and schedule. No one can lay their hands on Christ until he has given them the authority to do so. And that's what he told Pilate and said, you would have no power over me unless it was given you from above. So in this chapter, we are going to hear a lot of excellent theology from Jesus. We are going to see him healing people. And of course, we are going to draw theology from the healing. And God is going to demonstrate his sovereignty over the sin and hearts of man. And use the Jews' hatred of Jesus to interpret for us that when Jesus called God his father, he was claiming to be God himself. The Jews knew and understood what Jesus was saying when he said, God is my father. They knew exactly what he meant. Unlike a lot of people who try to read that statement from a 21st century understanding. They say, well, Jesus never said he was God. No, he always said he was God. But People don't have the understanding that the Jews had of what Jesus was saying. So Jesus equates himself to the Father by claiming to do all the things that the Father does. 
He says the father raises the dead. The son also raises the dead and gives life to whomever he wants. It's just mind-blowing. Why those qualifications? He doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say he gives life. He says to whomever I want. That sovereignty. A lot of people read that and they don't see it. That is saying election. I am under no obligation to give my life to everybody. Or anyone for that matter. I give my life for my ship. So the giving of life that is salvation is a divine prerogative of the Son as the Sovereign. And Jesus also is going to tell us that all judgment has been given to him. All judgment has been given to the Son that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. And that makes the Son God and equal with the Father. Because you can't honor the Son the same way you honor the Father without being an idolater. If you have to honor the Son the same way you honor the Father, it can only mean that the Father and the Son are equal and they are one. So then the Son is the center of all men's dealings with God. Or God's dealings with all men. So that one, one's eternal state depends only on their relationship with the Son. And what they think and say about Him. And for those who are in the Son, Jesus is going to tell us that the relationship that they have with Him is only confirmed by faith. If you have to know your relationship with God, there's only one way that is confirmed. It's by believing in the Son. And those that believe in the Son have eternal life because the faith that the Son gives is connected to Him. He has given it to those that He has purposed to give eternal life. So then, faith in Christ, faith in the person of Christ, faith in the person and work of the Son is the evidence that you are right with God. But the Son does not stop there. He says, but those who do not believe in the Son shall be condemned and are condemned already. Those who don't believe in the Son shall be condemned and are condemned already. So by you believing in the Son, God has already entered into judgment with you through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. But this is a subject matter that we are going to develop next week and the following sermons. This is more like an introduction to the chapter. This is going to be what Jesus is going to be talking about. That the whole universe is about him. He is the center of all things. Whether it's salvation, whether it's judgment, all that has been given into his hands. But John tells us and says, after these things, as we enumerated, 
Jesus shows up in Jerusalem. And John says in verse 2 of chapter 5, Now there is in Jerusalem by the ship gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay great, a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So there was by the ship gate a pool. And the gate was probably used as an entrance for sheep that were coming to be offered as a sacrifice in the temple. But if you go and read, there are a lot of commentators, there's a lot of conjecture on the gate and the pool. But what we know for sure is the pool has been found Archaeology has been able to actually determine that there was actually a pool. And there were actually two pools that were side by side. And it is in this very place that many people came who were seeking relief and cure from various infirmities that they had. And the pool was called Bethesda in Hebrew. And this is what it means. Bethesda in Hebrew means house of mercy. It's house of mercy or goodness or grace. Because many miserable people came and found grace from the Lord. So it was at this ship gate that the Lamb of God comes through to redeem one of his own. This was the gate through which sheep for sacrifice were brought in. And it is not by coincidence that the Lord comes through this gate also as the Lamb of God. And does the work that a sheep was sacrificed for. Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Because... Later on in the chapter, we're going to hear Jesus say to the man, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore. Wow. So then the healing was the forgiveness of sins. The healing that happened, the physical healing, was just a sign of a spiritual healing that was the forgiveness of the man's sin. But let's talk about the physical and health condition of the people who were at the pool. Because that is very instructive to our understanding of the work of the Lord here. John tells us about the health condition of the kind of people who were found by the pool. This was no pool for skimply dressed people looking to get some tan or to hang out with their buddies. This was no pool for those sipping champagne, wearing big hats and sunglasses, having a good time and looking cool. 
this was a pool where the withered and the hopeless gathered. This was a pool for the helpless and desperate. This was the pool where those who had infirmities that could not be cured came to try and find help. So they came and they lied there. And hopefully, by the grace of God, they were able to go into the pool when the water was disturbed. So John tells us in John 5, 3, and says, In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Do you see the constitution of the kind of people who were there? The health condition of the kind of people who were laying there. In these lay not five or ten people, but a great multitude. These are five porches, and in them were a great multitude of these kind of people. Of sick people, the blind, the lame, and paralyzed. There were people in here with debilitating infections. People who were bleeding, coughing from many incurable diseases. Among them were those blind from birth. And others had developed blindness over time for one reason or another. There was also the lame, that is those who could not walk. They could not walk normally because of injury or sickness affecting the legs or their feet. Not only these, but there were others who were also paralyzed. They were paralyzed from birth defects or from injury or from disease like polio because polio would have been still a disease common during this time. And these were all gathered, we are told, waiting for the moving of the water. So John 5, 4, the apostle says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. And what you're going to see is, depending on the Bible translation you have, some Bible translations leave out part B of verse 3. They leave part B, that is the waiting for moving of the waters, because it was not in the original manuscripts and was added by a commentator who was making a translation or was copying to supply the missing detail. So they probably were aware of what was happening at the pool and this detail was not supplied in the original manuscript. But whether it was in there or not does not change the teaching of what the Lord was intending by this. We know that these sick people gathered at the pool because there was hope of healing for them that they could not find anywhere else. And that is the point. But 
the statement by the sick man to Jesus in John 5, 7 is also telling. This is what the sick man said to Jesus. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. This obviously was in the original manuscript and does support the reasoning that is in verse 3b and verse 4. Because verse 4 also is one of those that other translations don't include. But verse 7 does give us an understanding of what was going on even if we don't have those other verses. So the statement by the man in verse 7 was in the original manuscript and he argued to Jesus. He argued to Jesus that the reason that he was not healed and was still in this condition was because he had not found help or resources to beat the next person into the pool when the water was disturbed. If the pool healed all who could get in, then that would not be a problem because he would be guaranteed of his healing. All he needed to do is just to find a way to roll into the pool. So the fact that there was a great multitude who were waiting and lying down in the porches suggests to us that the healing did not happen for all, and so people had to wait for their chance to be the first ones to get in, which for some never came, like what happened to this man. He had had this infirmity, we are told, for 38 years. And we also know that the majority of these people were in such bad physical shape that they could not even get in by themselves. And we learn that from the statement of the man because he says, I don't have anybody to come help me to get into the water every time that the water is disturbed. But this is also what we can learn. We can learn that the water did not have any healing properties in itself. We know there are a lot of, I, I, I shouldn't even call them preachers, but we have a lot of people, healers, who are saying they have water that they pray for and they can charge you a few bucks, pay them 10 bucks, and you get your healing water. This is the same aisle as the prayer shawls. From this we learn that there is no healing properties in the water. Water is good for quenching thirst. Water is good for physiological body needs. But if there has to be healing, it's not coming from the water. It's coming from the hand of the Lord. So we know that the medicinal properties of the water were only coming through the agents of the angel the angel who had to come and disturb the water. And as we learn from this, there was apparently a rule 
as to how the water was supposed to heal. Number one rule was it had to be troubled first. The water had to be troubled by an angel. And this is not to say the angel was sin. I don't think the angel was sin. They were only looking at the movement of the water to make an interpretation as to, oh, I think the water is ready for someone to jump in. And number two, whoever stepped into the water first was healed. Whoever stepped in first into the water was healed. And number three, that there was no discrimination as to what disease was healed or not. They stayed up water always carried enough healing power that was sufficient to meet the needs of that particular individual. So whether they were sick, they were blind, they were lame or paralyzed, if they were the ones who were able to be in the pool first, they were completely healed. Now all these diseased and sick people had various infirmities that made it very difficult for them to get into the water, even when the water had been disturbed. The very sick could not even raise themselves to get into the water. The blind could not even see the, that the water had been disturbed. So as to know when to enter and would not have known how to safely enter into the pool just in case the water had not been disturbed and they go in, how do they get in? Where are the steps? They can't see the steps. Everybody around them is just as helpless, just like them. Yes, the blind could walk, but they could not see. And so being there did not profit them. The lame and the paralyzed could see but they could not get into the pool because their mobility was bad. Remember, they were to step into the water, which required greater strength and mobility to get into the pool, lest one went in there and they were not healed and they were not able to come out. So this is a mass of very helpless and hopeless people, and if anyone has to be healed, it has to be by the help of another, by the grace of another. Or oh, you got to hear me. If any of these men have to be healed, it could not be by themselves. It could not be by their effort. Another had to come and help them. These are people who are all facing death in one way or the other. They are coming and they are saying, this is the place of our last hope. And I won't be surprised, even though the Holy Spirit did not record for us, that some people even were dying in this place. But we need to de develop this theology and understanding more because it's speaking to the condition, to the spiritual condition of all men and our need of salvation. is speaking to the spiritual condition of all men. 
And as the Bible declares and very clearly, all men born after the first Adam, born in the first Adam, that is all humanity, are the fallen. And because they are the fallen, they are subject to sin and its effects, both physically and spiritually. And because of that, they have lost all spiritual ability to help themselves, even when they desire to be healed. Listen to what the man said to Jesus. Say, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Unless the sick man finds someone to carry him into the pool, it does not matter how often the waters of the pool are disturbed. It does not matter even if the one person rule is changed from one to ten to hundred people. Even if the Lord says, well, what about a thousand people? You all can just dive in the pool and you'll be healed. That does not change anything. The fact that Christ died for the sins of the world does not give you the power to confess Christ unless Christ himself comes and shows you that you are a sinner and he gives you the power to understand spiritual things. The sick man has no ability to get to the means of grace unless someone other than himself gets him there. Someone other than himself gets him there. So all sinners born after Adam are sick men. They are like this sick man and are dying and are spiritually dead to the things of God. You see, this man did not even recognize who Jesus was. Jesus is God right there. And the conversation tells you that this man was clueless about who Jesus was. They are spiritually dead and cannot raise themselves to seek after Christ unless they get help from Jesus. And Jesus is the one who shows up. It's Jesus who came. The man did not go to Jesus. It's Jesus who showed up to heal him. And this is what we see also from a description of the kind of infirmities that these people had. We see blindness. All men born after the first Adam are born blind. They are born not physically blind, but are born spiritually blind to see Jesus as the means of grace. They may hear about the pool. They may hear about the gospel, but they won't come to Jesus. They may see the steps to the pool. They may see a sign that says, Berean Sovereign Grace Church. That's the pool of grace. But they are not coming unless they have help from the Lord to come in. Sinners are born blind and they can't see Jesus unless they are born again. 
they can't come and benefit from the means of grace that is Jesus Christ unless someone opens their eyes because they are blind. And the statement by the sick man is applicable to all humanity. Listen again to John 5, 7. Say, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. This statement was true to the sick man as it was to the blind man, to the blind man as it was to the lame and the paralyzed. Unless someone comes to help them, it always appears like another one, some other person, has gone ahead of them. None of them is getting into the pool by themselves. This statement by the sick man suggests to us that those who had gotten ahead of him were only able to make it by outside help. And that's why he says, I have no man to help me get into the pool. That is telling us that all those who had been able to go in the pool had only been able to do so by the help of somebody else. But hear this. If people were getting in by the help of another, if people were getting into the pool by the help of another, that would break the rule that the one who entered first was the one to be healed. It would suggest to us that this pictured our salvation in Christ. Listen to this. That the one who provided the sick with the physical help into the pool themselves did not need healing assistance. Because if I come and try to help you and I'm coughing and I'm the one who goes into the water before you, guess who gets healed? I am the one who's going to get healed. And this guy still has to wait for another opportunity to get into the pool. So this is the situation that we have. And it's a very glorious situation. The person who has to come and help the sick person cannot be sick themselves. They cannot be sick themselves. They cannot be sick themselves. Otherwise, they are taking the healing away from the person who needs it the most. And as you and I know, there's no sinner who is not sick with one thing or another at any point in time. There's none who does not need healing at any point in time. Even when you are at your very best, you always have some aches and pains. You always have a migraine. That is saying you need to get to the pool. You need someone to get you in the pool. So what is this teaching us? This would be teaching us in my thinking that there is need for a sinless man to take you into the pool with him if you are to receive your healing from God. Do you see what that is saying? It is saying you need Jesus. You need the sinless man Jesus 
to get you into the waters of salvation because he himself does not need any healing because he's sinless. You need Jesus to give you the living water. And this is what we are going to see. So what does this tell us about the spiritual ability of fallen man? If the sick, the blind, the lame, and paralyzed can't get into a physical pool without help, there's no hope for them to get to Jesus without God's help. The free will of the sick man, if he at all believed in free will, this one actually did not believe in free will. He had his theology right. He had his theology right. We, we're going to get it from, the, from his statement again. The free will of the sick man could not get him into the physical pool to get healed. He could not get into the pool because in his own admission and truthful confession, he needed help. He needed more than himself. He needed someone external to him, someone who had better resources than him to help him. The free will of the blind did not help them getting healed. The blind had no eyesight to see the means of grace. They could not even see the water when it was disturbed. And he could not cause himself to see by his own willingness, by his own desire. He could desire all he wanted, but he could never see the water. He could never see the grace. He could hear about it. He could hear the water getting disturbed. Someone is hearing about Jesus, but they can never make it to the means of grace. His eyesight, his vision was bound by something that needed more than his will. His vision was bound. No matter how much he desired to see, he could not help himself. The lame and the paralyzed Two were unable to get to the means of grace unless someone came and helped them because they were lame and paralyzed. Someone outside them. Someone who had the gracious will. Because from the statement of the sick man, he says, I don't have a man to come and help me. So by that statement, he's appealing to the gracious will of this other man who is willing to be inconvenienced for his sake. So the outside help that was needed had to come by grace. And it had to come by someone who was healthy and fit enough to take the person into the pool. And what does that say about you and I? That is saying, unless you realize and understand that you are the sick, that you are the blind, you are the lame and paralyzed spiritually, you have no use for Jesus. You have no use for Jesus.
And if you are sick, you are blind and lame and paralyzed, you have to realize that it is not your will that got you into the pool of salvation. These physical conditions, as I said, pictured or are telling you of your soul, the state of your soul before God, before Christ came. Your soul is helpless to help itself. And death is imminent to every man unless Jesus shows up. Every man is walking blind, sick, paralyzed. This is not good. These are people who are destined to die sooner than later. And spiritually, if Jesus does not show up, if Jesus does not show up for you in time, you will die as a sick, lame, and paralyzed person. John tells us this. When you're, when you're reading the Bible, ask the Lord to show, give you understanding. I'm telling you. Ask Jesus. and Say, Lord, teach me. What are you teaching from there? Because you read these things and you just go past them and you don't even see the theology. Listen to what John recorded for us in John 5, verse 6. He says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? When the Lord showed up, he knew that the man had been in this condition for a long time. And of course, knowing the person of Jesus, he did not learn from people. He didn't go to those who were around the pool and said, well, do you guys know how long this man has been here? He knew about the condition of the man because he is God. He knows that this man has been sick for 38 years. And that's a long time to carry an infirmity. But let us not miss the teaching here. We are told by John that Jesus saw him lying there. Remember what John has told us about this place. There lay a great multitude of sick people. And yet, he tells us that Jesus saw this man. How did he see this man and not see the great multitude? Why did he not see the others? The man obviously was not wearing some reflector clothes with very bright colors like he was a cop on an accident scene. There's a seeing here that happened that is different from the seeing of the rest who were there. I'll give you an example. Because this is glorious. If I happen to go to California, go to Philippines, and I'm minding my own business, 
at some store, and then suddenly from the blue, my eye catches Sister Desel. We are at the store, we are at the mall, there are a lot of people there. There are a lot of people who are walking, who are standing. But the scene that I make of Sister Desel is different than the scene that I am making of those around me. It is a scene of recognition. It is a scene of recognition that she is one of mine. And because she is one of mine, I am doing everything I can to get her attention and to get to her. I am not doing the same with a stranger. Otherwise, they'll call the cops on me. But even more, with Jesus, the recognition that he had of the man is more than the man had of Jesus. The man is clueless about who Jesus is. But Jesus knows this man. He knows everything about this man. And he knows that he belongs to him. He is one of his own sheep. And Jesus is the good shepherd who has gone out into the world of the sick, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed to bring his own sheep to himself. And here we are being taught of sovereign grace election. Jesus knows everything about the Samaritan woman. But she is clueless about Jesus and had to make a slow discovery of Jesus by Jesus' own revelation of himself to her. And this is a pattern of the teaching of the Bible when it comes to spiritual things. When the Lord came for you, he did not find you looking all good and healthy. He saw the sick man in you, lying and hopeless and ready to die, and you had no clue who Jesus was. But he came. He saw you. He saw you in a special way of seeing. Because you had a badge of recognition that you were one of his own. You have a badge. You have you are branded by the Lord. You are branded in a way that makes you visible to Jesus. And even though you were the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, because of God's gracious election, that made you visible to Jesus. In a way that other people are not visible to Jesus. And it's God who made you visible to Jesus. And also, Jesus made you visible to God. And so the Lord had compassion on the man and said to him, Do you want to be made well? It is actually a strange question to ask. Because Jesus knows the condition. But he comes and asks him, Well, do you want to be made well? But this is designed to get the attention of the man and to get him to focus on Jesus. Not to just think 
about Jesus as one of those people who are just passing by and helping helpless men. Jesus wants to get attention from the man and to raise his hopes because this man has been at it for a long time and by his own testimony, he has said he has not been able to find any help. So Jesus comes and says, do you want to be made well? But listen to the response of the man in verse 7 again. I like verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. The man did not answer the question. He did not answer the question of whether he wanted to be healed or not. What he said is the equivalent of you coming to a person when they are desperately hungry and they have no money and you ask them if they needed something to eat. Instead of saying yes, they instead say, I have no one to take me to the soup kitchen. Your normal response to them would be, I did not ask you if you wanted to go to the soup kitchen. I asked you if you needed something to eat. And this is what sin does to us. We get so burdened that we get so fixated on our own problems, in our own inabilities, our own burdens, that we fail to see the means of grace when it shows up. People get so fixated about their physical situations that they fail to hear the gospel and to see the glory of Christ. And so they'll continue to seek relief from their physical constraints of life. And in the process, they get hardened to the hearing of salvation in Jesus Christ. So we see many people flocking to these big churches to get some advantage in life. They're not going there to hear about justification. They're not going there because they're burdened of their sin and saying, what shall I do to be saved? What shall I do to make my life right with God? That's not what they're looking for. They're going in there to get some advantage. They are going there to just get someone to get them into the pool that gives them physical life. But they don't want to hear about the Jesus who actually heals. The salvation that heals for all of eternity. So they get fixated with the soup kitchen. That they forget that you could actually have food from somewhere else that does the same thing. That satisfies hunger just as well as the food that you find in the soup kitchen. But here what we see is the healing that was in the water was coming from Jesus. This is the bronze serpent. The bronze serpent was not healing anybody. Those who looked at the bronze serpent were not healed by the bronze serpent. The bronze serpent was just brass. Just a piece of metal. It's Jesus who was healing. But he was teaching faith. He was teaching them as he taught us in John chapter 3. So here, people were coming to the pool 
it is not the water that was healing them. It is Christ who showed up. Because when Christ healed the man, he doesn't tell him that, oh, now you're able to get in the pool by yourself. You jump into the pool. He is saying, whatever was happening in the pool, I was doing it, and I am doing it right now in your face. So the man made a statement to the fact that he lacked the means to get where everybody else was going to be healed. The man said someone gets to the pool faster than him, which suggests to us that his kind of sickness also slowed down his mobility. It, it seems also from the statement of the man that it was more the habit of passerbys. It was passerbys who would come if they were willing and get someone and put them in the pool. And from his statement, he is thinking Jesus is just one of those passerbys who is out there to help him get in the pool. But let us develop that theology some more. And we are going to go back to John 5, 4. We are working back and forth. John 5, 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. We are actually going to do verse 6 again. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The water was only effectual for healing for the one person who got into the pool first. And we are told that they were healed completely of whatever disease they had. And I'm sure there were others who probably, with a little bit of physical mobility, tried to plunge themselves into the water at the same time. Otherwise, they would not have known that you only needed one person at a time. There had to be some who tried to just jump in there with the person who had got in there first, and they were never healed. So this is something that they know very well about. So the water that was disturbed by the angel did not heal everyone. Whether you determine to remove part B of verse 3 and verse 4 from the text, it is clear from the statement of the man that the water did not heal everyone. But also, whoever was able to get into the pool was always healed completely. And listen to this. And when Jesus shows up at the pool, he did not heal everyone at the pool. He did not heal everyone at the pool. Was he lacking in power? No. Jesus is God. He had all the power to heal everyone the same way he healed the sick man. So why did he not heal the rest of the multitude that were sick? Remember the name of the pool was Bethesda. 
house of grace. The grace of God in Jesus is an electing grace. It is a discriminating grace. Armenians will try to explain and find explanations to try and make Jesus approachable. And say, well, the other ones did not have enough faith. What faith did this man have when Jesus talked to him? The way that he answered Jesus tells us that he did not know anything about Jesus. The man was healed only because of God's electing grace. And grace is a discriminating grace. It's not for everybody. It's for those that the Father gave to Christ before the foundation of the world. Jesus healed one of his sheep and left the rest in their misery. He did. And he walked away. When we talk about God's sovereign election, people say it is unfair and that we are making up this doctrine which is not found in the Bible. But if you are reading the Bible faithfully, you will find it taught and applied by Jesus himself. Salvation is by the electing grace of God in Christ Jesus. God has to choose you for nothing good in you. He has to choose you to bestow his salvation on you and not for anything that is good in James. And that's the beauty of it. Because if salvation is dependent on my goodness, guess what? I am sinning every time, even in my sleep, I am sinning. I am sinning in everything that I do. Because sin is my constitution as a fallen person. I am abhorrible in the sight of God. Were it not for Christ. So the situation that each and every man or woman or child is in before Christ. Is that they are the sick who are among the blind. Among the lame. Among the paralyzed. There is no one who is doing better than the other. God did not foresee that this sick man was going to believe in him. Because when Jesus, as I said, healed the man, the man was clueless about who Jesus was. So God saw nothing. God foresaw nothing that you or I or anybody else would do for him in response to his grace. God did not see the sick man as the one who alone had enough faith more than the rest. His physical condition tells us everything there is to know spiritually about the man. He was spiritually sick as he was physically sick. The blind man was physically blind as he was spiritually blind. The lame was spiritually lame as he was physically lame. The paralyzed was spiritually paralyzed as he was physically paralyzed. But who made them to differ? Who made them to differ that one received grace 
and the rest were passed by. It is Jesus. It is God. It is election. It is election according to grace. It is Jesus who limited the application of his mercy because salvation is only for the elect. Salvation is only for those who get into the pool of grace and not those who remain outside. And how did you get into the pool of grace? It's Jesus who put you in the pool of grace. You can't get into the pool of grace by your willing, by your doing. What am I saying? I'm saying you only believe in Jesus if you're born again by God. You only believe in Jesus if you are chosen by God in Christ. You only believe in Jesus if Jesus comes to meet you where you are and heals you. And the healing is the giving of faith, is the giving of the new birth. And if Jesus does not come for you, you shall forever remain at the pool of Bethesda, hoping and waiting to see if someone can help you and no one is going to come. And that's the situation with people who are going to find themselves in hell. They're going to be waiting. They're going to be crying and waiting for salvation. And salvation is not going to come. Salvation is not going to come because the depiction that we have here of the physical health of these people is going to be more amplified in hell. It's going to be worse than that. And yet they won't be dying even though spiritually they are dead physically they'll still be in torment of their infirmities. But listen to this. This is beautiful. We are coming to an end soon. Today. Oh, uh, actually I have one hour and 30 minutes from last week that I missed. So I'm going to add that to this. <laughs> we, are, we, we are making up for lost time. But listen to John 5.8. Listen to the command. Listen to the command of how the fallen rise from their spiritual infirmity. John 8. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. The command is purposeful. And it is a threefold command. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus has to issue the command for you to rise from your spiritual deadness. We cannot teach the foolishness and nonsense. It's actually nonsense. That sinners have the will to come to Jesus. If the Lord does not issue the command for you to rise, you are not rising. The sick man shall remain the sick man. Here again, the description of those who were around him. There were a multitude around him of the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. That is saying, that is the spiritual 
condition and spiritual inability of all men. And Jesus comes and he gives a command. And this command was effectual for all of them if he determined to save all of them. Just as he was by the cemetery where Lazarus was buried, Jesus came and said, come forth. No, he did not say come forth. He said, Lazarus, come forth. That's very particular. Jesus had to call your name because with his power, if he says come forth, the whole cemetery is waking up to life. So when Jesus shows up at the pool, he does not say to all who are there, rise, take up your bed and walk. He only restricts it to that particular man. So the command that brought you to Christ was rise. <laughs> it is that command that brought you life. It was rise. Christ didn't even have to say a whole lot of things. He didn't need to shake your head and throw you around and have some bouncers to catch you when you fall on the ground. Jesus says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Many people find themselves walking in Christ. But they do not know that there was a prior chain of commands that came before they started walking. A prior chain of commands that Christ issued the command that said, rise, take up your bed. They only hear the last part of the command, which is walk. And they think they are walking by themselves. Armenians, Armenians are notorious for teaching this foolishness. That men, fallen men have ability in themselves to move themselves towards Christ. If Christ does not, according to what we are being taught here, if Christ does not issue the command, you can never walk towards Christ. Armenians basically are saying, we are already in the pool. We are already in the pool by ourselves. We don't need any help to get into the pool of grace. We are already in. They're just waiting for the water to be stirred up. But the Lord says, no. You can't even get into the pool by yourself. The true confession of one who has learned from the Lord is this. The true confession. I have no one to take me into the pool. I have no one to take me into the pool. That has to be your confession before the Lord. And the Lord always honors that kind of confession. It is the same confession of the Samaritan woman when the Lord confronted her about her husbands. She did not try to run away from that. Right? When the Lord confronted her. And she got a confession from the Lord that she had spoken truthfully. What is your confession of Jesus before God is your confession I chose him 
I invited him into my heart. I made him. <laughs> I made Jesus my Lord and Savior. Or the true confession. Lord, I have no one to take me into the pool. Help me, Jesus. This is a sovereign grace confession. It's a confession of those who are born from above. And this is the confession that honors the Lord. Those who walked into the pool were healed completely and immediately of their infirmity. And so those who are in Christ, who are in the pool of Christ, are healed. That is justified completely before God. They are justified completely in spite of the sin that they have committed. What did the scripture say? Those who were touched by the stirred up water were healed of whatever disease they had. Whatever disease they had, they were completely healed. They were completely justified. God does not justify you 20%. God does not justify you 99%. God justifies you 100% in Christ. And whatever disease you have, if it's a physical disease, it's an expression of the spiritual disease that you have. Because Christ, who was sinless, never got sick. So whatever infirmities we have are a reminder to us of who we are as fallen men. But whatever physical expression you find, you find yourself in, whether it's a particular physical disease or a spiritual disease, there's only one way of cure. It's going to be Christ. If anybody has murdered someone, they still can be saved by Christ. The problem is not murder. The problem is that they are sinners. And because they are sinners, they need saving. And there's only one who saves. is Jesus who saves. For those who are struggling with homosexuality, the problem is not homosexuality. The problem is that you are sinners. It's because of sin that you find yourself bound this way. And you need someone to save you. You need someone to take you into the pool of grace. Someone other than yourself, you can't save yourself by yourself. There's not much hope trying to find help by the pool by yourself. You need outside help. And let's not miss this also. The pool was a place of those who were working themselves into salvation. The pool was a place of those who were working themselves into salvation. But every time that they tried to work themselves into salvation, guess what? Someone, it seemed, was always ahead of them. All the time. All the time. Someone, almost always, 
for Brother Robert, it's always looking like it's only happening for those people, but never him. But guess what? That's not him alone. It's also happening to the next person. They think it's always happening for other people. Why? Because none can get salvation by their own efforts. Christ has to show up. And we see in this that Jesus did not make salvation possible. Jesus did not make it possible for the man to get into the pool. Jesus completely healed the man so that he did not need to go into the pool. Those who are in Christ have been completely healed and justified before God. They are justified from all their sins just as those who were healed in the pool were healed completely of whatever disease they had. And don't miss this. This is brilliant. And John says, and this was a Sabbath. Wow. Why? Because the work of Christ is a work of rest. The work of Christ is about bringing rest to his people. He who has been healed of their disease has entered into God's rest. This man has had this infirmity for 38 years. And for the first time, he has rested from the debilitations that come from his disease. And if you have been justified in Christ, guess what? You have entered into God's Sabbath. You have entered into God's rest. You have rested from your works. You have to rest from your works. You have to rest from your works because you can never work hard enough. You can never work good enough. So as we close, this is where we are and this is who we were. We were the sick and the scriptures really mean it. We were the sick, we were the blind, the lame and the paralyzed with no hope with no ability whatsoever of ever getting into the pool to be healed by ourselves. And death was coming. And death was coming. The sick man was lying there by the pool waiting to die because every single day he saw his situation getting worse and worse. And hope was just waning and waning. But the Lord came by the sheep gate. The Lord who is the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. Who is also the good shepherd of the sheep. He came and saw one of his own. He came and saw one of his own. And praise the Lord that he saw you from among the great multitude of the sick and dying. Because he does not see all. The Lord does not see all. He only sees his elect. Those that the Father gave him before the foundation of the world. And to all who are in Christ. To all who are in Christ. Let me tell you something. This is the only way that you came to Christ. Jesus had to make a command. 
It's not your will. It's not your doing. Jesus had to make a command, a particular command to you and say, rise. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. If this command is not issued, you are not coming to Christ. But if this command has been issued, in your case, you are coming to Christ and you are so saved. Praise the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne to honor your name and to honor your Son, Jesus Christ, for the commands that he has issued for his people. The command to rise, take up our beds, and walk. And we are walking only because we were raised from the dead. We were raised from, from the porch by the pool where we were lying amongst a multitude of other sick and dying people. A multitude of the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed who could not do anything for themselves or by themselves unless Christ showed up. And Lord, we praise you that Christ, when he showed up, he saw us. He saw us in a way that nobody else sees us. He saw us as one of his own. And he had to stop. He had to stop that he may give the command. And we are blessed of all people because we are known by you. Christ has made us visible to you and you made us visible to him. So Lord, we honor you and we thank you for all that <coughs> have been called by Christ and we pray for the church of Christ, the body of Christ. Wherever they are named, may you be with your people. May you call your people. May you see your people who are among, who are among the many who are dying, the great multitude of this world, who know not Christ, who know not the pool of grace. Lord, we thank you for those who could not make it. Uh, we pray for those who have different kinds of infirmities, especially of the household of faith, Lord, that you, by your grace, may touch them and heal them. And Lord, may you grant hearing to those that shall listen to this message. I pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.